This is The Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. How are we doing? Welcome into the show. My name is Braden Dennis. As always, joined by the epic Simon Belanger. Sir, we have a fun show. This is like a bonus show, something we've never done before. It was actually a listener recommendation. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, man, we got to do this. This is, I was looking at your notes, by the way, and I, I laughed more than once. So I think these are good. Yeah, no, it should be fun. Hopefully, even the non-hockey fans will be able to enjoy this. I think we'll we'll do some analogy, but I think you can still get some value even if you don't know anything about hockey. So the concept of the show today is we are both going to, quote-unquote, draft a starting lineup of a hockey team. A starting five and goalie. So the positions in hockey and... I thought it was a fun idea because it makes you think about different types of businesses as well and different skill sets that you might need. And it's fun. Just before we do start the draft, I just wanted to add some color that like, this is not you and I building a ideal 10 company portfolio. Although we own a bunch of them and many of them are fantastic businesses, this is a draft for fun and a hockey analogy, and there's going to be lots of interesting takeaways as we go through these 10 different individual stocks. My dude, do you want to kick us off yeah. with your first <laughs> starting line centerman? Yeah, so I chose Microsoft for this one, and just like you said, I mean, I think I own, I own some of the names. I do own Microsoft, but I don't own all the names that I've chosen anyway, so just so people understand that yeah. too so microsoft i mean for me it's a large company obviously it's a mega cap it's still growing at a really good pace considering that and obviously microsoft azure so their cloud business still grew 24 percent last year sorry last quarter so it's still you know growing at a very good clip and clearly it is the part of the business that is growing the fastest here and I like Microsoft as my center here because I think there is still some growth coming, but other parts of the business like the productivity and business processes will grow faster, but will provide you know Microsoft with an incredible amount of stability. I actually meant to say it won't grow as fast, but it will still provide them with a lot of stability. And one thing I love about Microsoft is they're really good at adapting with changing times. I would say that's probably with their current CEO. It wasn't always the case with, you know, let's just say Steve Ballmer before that. <laughs> but in recent years, I think they've done a really good job. For example, take Microsoft Office, who used to be something that you bought, and then you pretty much had that version as long as you wanted. Clearly, there was some updates that you wouldn't get. But I think I used Microsoft Office 2000 for about 10 years just to give an idea because it did what I needed to do, especially when I was using Word in university. I would just get a new computer and I would use the exact same Microsoft Office copy. But now they changed that to a monthly subscription, which provides some recurring revenue. But it's also a good experience for the user because, you know, you keep getting those new features that are added to that. Another example how nimble they are is Microsoft Teams. 
So for those not aware, Teams was just launched in 2017. And Teams is kind of a mix of Slack and I would say Zoom together. I think that's a good way if people haven't used it. And Teams was launched eight years after Slack. And it's really widely used right now. I think there's just basically two names in the game. There's Slack or Teams that businesses will use. I've used Teams and I know a lot of people who have. And, you know, whether it's that or Slack, I can't I have a hard time remembering what work was before that but it just goes to show how they're able to either buy some competitors or create their own products and user platform and their client base to actually you know bring that forward and grow it very rapidly and make it a very successful product in the case of teams and the last thing here is microsoft also returns capital to shareholders so you get increased ability which is what you want in a top-end two-way center if we're keeping the hockey analogy here <laughs> yeah we need more yeah we need, we need lots because mine are <laughs> so ridiculous well i, and I do like... i do better in my <laughs> later ones but definitely i noticed that your later ones are more oriented to the, yeah, more to oriented. the top But my main thing here is I wanting something stable with some upside and something that will also give me some defense in terms of my portfolio. So that's why you need a two-way center. Exactly. So I wanted a two-way center. (laughs) You won't, you know, Microsoft probably won't light up, won't be a Connor McDavid, for example. But, you know, maybe it'll be my Patrice Bergeron, for example. I think that's a good analogy, actually. No, you know why I like this and why they're perfect being a center is the distribution analogy, right? You talked about Teams. Microsoft's able to just spin up a new product, instantly give it out to all of their existing user base, that ridiculous distribution scale that they have built up over time. And you want that in the center. You want to be able to hand off passes to people in the slot in good scoring positions and that's what Microsoft's distribution advantage gives them. You know, they spin up this product and then all of a sudden it's more used than like the largest competitor who's been working at it for multiple decades. Like that's just such a big advantage. And they're doing it now with the cloud platform Azure as well. Yeah. And, you know, just the last thing I'll add is, you know, they make they make good products because, you know, if they didn't, yeah, they people do. would change. They do. Let's talk about my first pick of the draft here and when I'm talking about my first line center I need them to play offense and defense like you a true two-way center and perform well in any environment whether it's in the corner while it's on the face-off I need them to perform well at all times and that is Costco it is able to be the category leader in both good and bad times. Absolutely rock solid. Now, of course, it is a defensive name because while it's Costco, it performs well in recession. People want to be able to buy these goods at very good prices. But offensively, they also have two really main important levers that they can pull over time. And they're simple to understand and they continue to do it. And what these two levers are, are one, open more locations, more warehouses. And there's lots of room for them to do this internationally. And they call the the stores warehouses. So they're the same thing. Warehouses, stores, locations, whatever. Number two, raise membership prices. They're due for a membership fee increase. They are smart and they're sensitive around doing it in harder economic times. That's why it's probably 
not happened yet, but this is a business that they can definitely do that. And their customers will tolerate it historically. And they do it about every five years ish. And we're now past that point. I think we're at about six ish now. So we're due for a hike, whether it's soon, whether it's two years from now, it's going to happen. Like, and I know we have been saying like, Oh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It still hasn't happened. I still stand by my statement that it's it is going to happen soon. Yeah, I think in terms of Costco, probably the last thing I'd add for me is they're also a very good kind of corporate citizen. I don't know how to put it, but I think you know Agreed. what I mean, right? So they treat their employee wells, and I think the rate hike for membership they they spoke about it, and I they just mentioned that it's not really the right time right now, and exactly. I think you know. Yeah. Whether they delay that six months or a year, just the fact that they're not taking advantage of people right now when a lot of people are struggling, I think you can buy a lot of good faith from your customers, but also pretty much all your stakeholders. Yeah, there. I think I've talked about this on the pod many times, but it's the the three legged stool of you know corporate responsibility: your customers, your shareholders, and your employees. And they have always been very transparent about how they think the third leg of the stool of investors and shareholders will get rewarded really, really well if they focus on the two other legs of the stool, their employees and making sure their customers have an amazing experience and constantly get lower and lower prices. That's where you get the shareholder returns. And that thesis has worked out incredible. And if we're talking again about two-way center and impressive distribution channels for someone in the middle there, Costco seems like a good pick for me. Yeah, no, exactly. Now, my next one is one of my wingers. I didn't define whether it was a right wing yeah, I was going to say, are we going to go left wing, yeah. right wing? Yeah, That's just, well, they're interchangeable. Let's just say that. So yeah. this one, which actually is funny because uh, the name is Intuit. And we got tagged into something because what was it? FTX was using QuickBooks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So today's the now CEO of, of FTX is getting grilled in front of Congress or whatever it is. Yeah. So we are recording this episode quite a bit in advance. So yeah, you'll hear this yeah. during the holidays. But no, it was kind of funny. Someone tagged us with uh, the fact that they were using QuickBooks, which is something we use as well. So obviously... It's just funny because it's like SMB software and yeah. this like big fraudulent multi-billion dollar company was using QuickBooks. Exactly. And for those who are not familiar with it or don't know QuickBooks because you don't have a small or you don't have the business, for example, they have other brands you might be familiar with. So TurboTax is one, Mint is one, MailChimp, Credit Karma. These are all brands that are within the Intuit umbrella. Intuit has shown some impressive growth over the past decade, and it's really showing no signs of slowing down, to be honest, but it's been definitely growing because in large part of acquisitions, but they've done a really good job at integrating those acquisitions. So if you just look up some of the acquisitions they've made in the past like decade or so, there's a pretty long list. There's probably, I think, 15 to 20 since the early 2010s, and they tend to target acquisitions that will fit well in their ecosystem. So if you use an Intuit product, there's a pretty good chance you'll actually be using more than one or at least one that is 
you know, there's an additional feature that's a byproduct of an acquisition that they did. Now, revenues have been growing at a double digit pace for almost a decade. And although it might slow in the future, because obviously, you know, law big numbers here, they're starting to be pretty large in terms of revenue. I still think there's a pretty good runway for them. And their free cash flow has doubled since 2018. It's approaching four billion on an annual basis and i really chose them as a winger because it's going to generate offense but it's also pretty responsible from a defensive perspective i think you're gonna be able to count on into it even if there's tougher economic time yes it'll probably grow slower obviously if there's businesses that go bankrupt for example but there's certain products like TurboTax. people need to do their taxes if anything if they're in a tough economic spot they may choose to do their own taxes save money versus paying someone else so like most swingers here i think it will they will take some big swings from time to time for more offense, like their recent acquisition of MailChimp. But they seem, I haven't seen the numbers, but it sounds like it's being integrated quite well from what I've read. Look, I mean, I am a huge Intuit customer. If you look at my spend on Intuit from my two businesses, it is a large, very large sum of money that is growing every single year. And this is something that they've tapped into extremely well, which is net expansion of their current customer base. For instance, I think I pay an extra $4 every month for every employee I add into the payroll system inside of QuickBooks. Like a perfect lever for them to pull. And it used to be two bucks and they just doubled it. I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, it's one, not enough for me to care that much because I don't have like some gigantic team of employees. And same with MailChimp. Like one, I use it because it integrates with our backend better. And two, as my list keeps growing, I just pay more and more money. Like, And it gets very expensive. But again, not something that you want to just pick up and leave. It's very sticky for these businesses. And one thing that I thought was interesting uh, about talking about Intuit today because it was timely with you know the, yeah. the FDX thing is I actually don't see why businesses would like grow out of it. Like I don't really currently, maybe I don't know enough, but it doesn't have a lot of scale limitations over time. Maybe sure if I have like some gigantic team, they want to be looking on some other platform, but it's very like powerful. It's It's not feature lacking. And so I do think that it can continue to scale with these businesses. I mean, I've worked in HR and worked closely with payroll teams. So definitely when you have larger organization, there's things like ADP, for example. Yeah. You know, there's some really good solutions for larger corporation where, you know, you may have an internal payroll team, but ADP takes care of the actual like, you know, processing all the instructions with right. the bank when you're talking about, you know, tens of millions of dollars and things like that. So I think I don't know. I probably Intuit doesn't have that capacity. Well, they've built out the APIs if you do want to make an yeah. internal tool as well mm -hmm. to kind of handle all that back end stuff. So I, I think that they've recognized that like, hey, we can keep retaining these customers and build the tools they yeah. want if they want to scale as large enterprises. But I like the pick, man. And this is like the ultimate growth at a somewhat reasonable price name. Yeah. All right. Let's get into my uh, second round of the 
draft here, I, I had to take a winger and I wanted to go a little off the board and I wanted to free up some cap space too. You know, I wanted to get something that maybe is a little bit more of a value name, but I think I can get lots of upside still. And it's dual listed. It's on the TSX and it's on the NASDAQ. And that company is no other than BRP, Bombardier Recreational Products. On the TSX, it is DOO. On the NASDAQ, it is DOO. Oh, so do and do. It is on the wing because this is a goal scorer and ready to join the rush by stealing market share of the competition in recreational vehicles. If you look at this graphic, Simone, from fiscal year 16, BRP's North American power sports market share was 20%, and it is now about to hit 35% in fiscal 23, and it passed 30% in 22. So they're actually not only seeing this market expand, they saw 23% year-over-year growth on this market from an already bid-up market where people wanted more recreational vehicles for outdoor activities like pulled-forward COVID stuff. It's grown exceptionally even on top of that, and they're taking market share. So you have a lot, you have a, a growing pie and taking more of the pie. Now, power sports revenue has gone from 2.1 billion to 8.8 billion CAD over the past eight years. So, you know, clean 4X over eight years and relatively smooth as well. Not like just some huge game changing year made up the difference, but still, still, Simon, given those growth numbers, the market is not favoring their scale here on the wing. Trading at just six and a half times EV to EBITDA, it seems perennially dirt cheap. And here's why. The market knows it's a consumer discretionary product to buy. It's going to be marketed as such. But so given that, you know, it could be a tough off season for BRP, for my, my, <laughs> my winger here. But the numbers keep showing otherwise that it wasn't just outdoor activity COVID demand. The company keeps growing through it and past it. So this is a player I could legitimately see burying a 40-plus goal season. But we're talking about like $2 million, $1.5 million cap hit. This is an, a value play that I'm seeing a lot of upside. And uh, I'm taking it here on my uh, second round of the draft. Yeah, no, I'm not surprised because I know you like this one. But <laughs> I think for me, the most impressive for get revenues for a second, it's really the market share because that's more indication of their dominance, in my opinion, versus, you know, having, you know, a tide that lifts all boats type of deal. Like, you know, obviously everyone and their brother wanted to have a recreational vehicle <laughs> during the pandemic, right? So I think if you made decent ones, I'm pretty sure you saw your sales increase, but it's kind of telling to see that their market share has increased. So that's the most important for me. This market brand matters a lot, like a lot, a lot. When people are making these kind of decisions on like which product they're going to buy, the brand matters a lot. And it's a bit of like a network effect. And you're seeing this now where when I see more CDUs or more skidus on that like segment of the power sports, then more people know about the brand and more people trust it. And then it it's like this positive feedback loop. And you've seen it in the numbers over the past like 10 years, how much their brand has grown in these different product categories. And yeah, it's crazy demand for this stuff. Even when they say, 
you know, recession, people who can afford this stuff are doing good. Yeah. That's the kind of dichotomy of the consumer right now. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a good point. Now, so my second winger here is Aritzia. So ticker ATZ, it's listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Now, Aritzia's growth has been nothing short of phenomenal in the past decade. As a side note, if you wanted a good breakdown or dive, it's Adrian and you. I think I did a great episode on that maybe like two, three months ago for people if they're interested in learning more. I see Aritzia as my winger, but a winger that has some defensive liabilities here. So what it does well, it does extremely well. So revenues have more than doubled since 2018. Contrary to a lot of companies growing this quickly, Aritzia is also profitable on an earnings and free cash flow basis. So it's pretty rare to have kind of both that combination. Usually have you have growth fast- and profits? What is yeah. this? That, yeah, is that, that's some sort of unicorn. Yeah, I know. What are we like 1992? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Aritzia could continue growing for years to come with its U.S. expansion strategy, which has been working really well for them. U.S. sales should surpass Canadian sales in their upcoming quarter. They were essentially neck and neck the latest quarter. Now, the biggest risk here is I think Aritzia is a bit of a one-trick pony. So I'll explain that a little bit. So I'll kind of give the analogy of, you know, you have a winger that can really score well. But, you know, it's like Ovi, you know, he gets in his spot, he's comfortable, he's in his office, he's going to bury all day from there. But I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And but the rest, you know, can be a bit, you know, not necessarily the best. So the reason for that is first, I've mentioned this before about them, but it only sells women's clothing. Prices are not the most expensive, but they're not on the cheap end either. And there's somewhat of a narrow age demographic for women as well. Like you, I would say usually it's about what, 15 to like late 30s that you would see wearing that kind of clothes. Now, 15 to 35, I I think, is their sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. So with rising costs for a lot of fashion retailers, that really could pose some significant risk here with its expansion strategy because if costs increase significantly and demand does slow down because you know people just don't have as much disposable income, it could put a lot of pressure on Aritzia's growth and profitability. However, if they do continue to execute well and its products continue to be in high demand without too much margin compression, this could end up being a top point producer in the league. So really have some phenomenal returns but i think it's not without its risk and obviously the the fashion risk is always one to to be careful of it's been going well so far but if we're you know we're entering kind of some economic uncertainty and that's something that people can easily cut right they you know they'll still need to buy clothes probably but they can go to a cheaper brand so that's where ritzia has a bit of risk wow look at these back-to-back sleeper picks canadian listings Sleeper picks, absolute steals in the draft. Yeah. I, I, I like the pick. All right, let's move on to a U.S. name called Intuitive Surgical to round out my starting three forwards. Another name I want to be, I just want them ready in the slot for when the pass comes across, they're, they're given the opportunity to Barry and Intuitive Surgical feels like that name. It is the category leader in robotic assisted surgery, a growing and important market. And this is not, you know, some buzzword robotic assisted surgery name, small cap. We're talking about a gigantic company today. Anyone who matches up 
beside them looks like they're stuck in peewee house league hockey while intuitive surgical is the behemoth in robotic assisted surgery like what's the what's the mark it's more caps like probably 80 billion let's see what it is 95 billion today because it's rallied quite a little bit from september lows so you get a sense and scale for the business it is it is a big one they're a sexy name they have the huge upside they have the secular trend behind them. They have the somewhat monopolistic position, but that comes with a frothy valuation premium. So you have some risk that you sign them to some huge contract and can't perform relative to the huge expectations. We're talking about a big cap hit, Simon, here in my draft. A 15 times EV to sales multiple and a bajillion times earnings. That being said, if you look at the installed base... Da Vinci Robotic Assisted Surgery Systems is now at 7,364 installed, and those are doing almost 500,000 surgeries per quarter now. So it's like a 2 million plus surgeries run rate. And we have huge profit opportunities from their services, instruments, and accessories, which are occurring and high margin in nature. So uh, I'm taking Intuitive Surgical to round out my forwards. It was an expensive pick. Had to pay up late in the draft here, but it is what it is. No, I like it. I know you love that name, so I think you you have the position that right now. Yeah, it is my latest new position. Okay. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. okay, cool. Now let's move on to the defense. So my first one is more of an offensive defenseman. That's still pretty, you know, pretty stable. So it's ASML. So I did a dive into ASML not too long ago, so I encourage anyone to go back probably seven or eight episodes, something like that, maybe a month or two ago, and just listen to that if you want to know more. But in short, ASML is the only company in the world that produces extreme ultraviolet lithography machines, EUV, which are used to make the world's most advanced semiconductor chips. The technology is a result of decades of R&D, and they also have some know-how of how to operate these machines, which is really important because you can try and copy these machines, which is almost impossible to do. It's another thing to have the right people to actually be able to run this business because you need people with, you know, specific studies that have PhDs that specialize in these type of machines to be able to run them. And it's just very hard to come by. And a lot of these people are actually located in Western countries. So that's that's the reason why China is actually not been very successful in in being able to produce these kind of machines or this kind of technology. Now, ASML may be restricted by its coach here, and the coach is the <laughs> regulators or U.S. government, and won't be allowed to take risks in certain situations. For example, you know, shipping EUV machines to China, and they also have some lesser deep ultraviolet lithography machines that are kind of a Slightly older technology, not as advanced. They have been shipping those to China, but I know the U.S. government is putting a lot of pressure on the Dutch to uh, restrict those machines as well. Now, ASML will be given the top power play opportunities and most of the offensive zone star, which means that there will be plenty of opportunities to score or grow its revenues. Now, ASML won't come cheap. 
it's always going to be a fairly high valuation. And if you don't pay up, another team will step up and offer it a lucrative contract during free agency because you get a pretty steady business with quite a bit of upside. Of course, there are some, you know, they have to play within certain rules. That's important, but they do get to enjoy a lot of growth as well. And I'll just add that, you know, we're seeing in the U.S., the U.S. putting a lot of emphasis in bringing a lot of the chip production, semiconductors production back to the U.S. So they're not as reliant on other countries like Taiwan. So I think ASML will be a big beneficiary of that as well. I love the pick and definitely, you know, defensive in its position in the marketplace as being the game in town for ultraviolet lithography, but also has still a lot of room to grow. And and we're talking about a secular trend of semis that is is clearly no longer the cyclical business that it was once thought to be, in my opinion. You know, of course you're gonna still see some like macro cyclicality, but for the most part, name something you're buying or even interacting with today that doesn't have <laughs> semiconductors and chips. It's very important part of, of what's happening. And especially with computing, power just going to continue to grow up. I think that there's some some offensive opportunities still, lots to go. Yeah, and you may be able to get it on a better valuation, right? If sentiment with China, US and China tensions kind of go back up. I have a feeling that, you know, ASML valuation may come down a little bit. Yes. I think basically any semi name has been priced in the fact that recently got repriced to things could go really bad really quick, basically. (laughs) And so I think that it's fair, but also maybe there's opportunity there. All right. Let's start with my first defenseman of the draft, and that is CP Rail. And I'm starting my pairing here with CP Rail on, on the blue line here because let's let's be honest, CP Rail. I mean, rock solid defensively. And his twin brother, CN Rail, also a first ballot Hall of Famer. But I was actually, you know, I was looking for a little bit more experience, a veteran. And fun fact, CP Rail has been in the league since 1881, quite a bit longer than twin brother CN Rail, which only came into the league at uh, just a young age in 1919. So almost 40 years older. And that comes with experience on my blue line here. So at the young age of 141 years old, CP Rail still has room to grow and consolidate with some friends in the US and build an impressive network spanning across all of North America. A real defenseman with defensive nature, and it is nearly impossible to disrupt the rock-solid position that these railroads have, generating tons of cash, but also giving you some upside by growing EPS and and the dividend quite aggressively at over 10% a year. Yeah, yeah, and you're definitely betting on the, I'm assuming on the Kansas City Southern acquisition to go through, right? I think that's kind of built into this, but yeah. even not, I mean, you're still looking at you know, one of the premier assets in North America. Yeah. No, I mean, I like both plays. I think see, you can't go wrong with either. I think CNR, slower growth, more capital return to shareholders and CP, higher growth, but less capital return to shareholders. I think that's the probably the easiest way to, to define it. Yeah. And I have no problem with people just 
being like, I'm going to own both equal weighted. Mm-hmm. Like I see complete logic to that. I see complete logic in the same way that I, you know, combo pair Moody's and S&P Global or Visa and MasterCard, CP and CN. You know, you're just looking at rock solid and wonderful businesses. Like if you think about the landscape of no one's going to Stanford and trying to disrupt the rails. Like it's not happening. Yeah, no, exactly. Now, so something in the same kind of vein here for uh, my second defenseman. So it's BIP, Brookfield Infrastructure Partners. There's a reason I chose BIP here because I wanted to have just a really well-rounded defenseman. So that's why I chose BIP. BIP won't wow you with growth, but will always be making smart decisions with the Brookfield management. There's going to be offense here, but you can really bank on not having any brain cramps. So that will rarely, if ever, happen with BIP. And Brookfield has a history of making smart acquisition and is not afraid of pulling the trigger if they see great opportunities like, you know, they did last year with Interpipeline. And we see how the market now is valuating those pipelines compared to last year. And it's at a much higher valuation. Last year when they made the offer, it was much lower. They even had to up the offer a little bit, but even at that price, I think it was a really good acquisition. Now you get additional stability with Brookfield here with a 4% dividend yield. So even when things do get a bit rocky, you get that extra stability and revenues have just grown steadily over the past decade and continue growing with those smart acquisition and their contracts. There are a lot of fee bearing assets that they have under the uh, Brookfield infrastructure, whether it's data centers and you also have toll roads, you have, like I just said, the inter pipeline, a lot of these ports, exactly. So a lot of these type of contracts that they have, they also have kind of some inflation protection embedded in these contracts too. So that's why they've been doing pretty well despite the higher inflation. I love it. Perfect, perfect pick and late here in the draft. I think it's nice. All right. I'm going to take my last defenseman, my last position player. And it was hard to pick this this last D-man because... There's so many good options here late in the draft still. You know, we're looking at potentially 40,000 securities I could have picked. So where do I start? And I opted to look at the stock exchanges. We have ICE, which operates the New York Stock Exchange, the NASDAQ, London Stock Exchange, the TMX, which operates the TSX. And there's more, you know, Shanghai, Japan. These are all publicly traded businesses you can own. Ultimately, I did have some cap space available, and I took NASDAQ, which is a $31 billion in market cap company, growing at a decent clip annually, too. You're looking at over 10% on the top line and the dividend as well. If you look at the segments, the market technology revenues are growing extremely well still. It's like one of the most persistent growth lines I've ever seen. IPOs are certainly down, no doubt. But there's some seasonality to this. And, you know, it was a bit of a flu, maybe a flu game happening here <laughs> with the IPOs. And we're going we're gonna to come back. Ultimately, a rock solid defenseman to round out my starting pair on the blue line of CP and NASDAQ. It's not a cheap name given the growth, but 
that's because you're paying for the wonderful competitive advantages that the exchanges happen. So you're, you're noticing here on the picks that we've had for the back half here, critical infrastructure picks and shovels, right? You know, with the infrastructure you're talking about, with the infrastructure of CP, and then the the technological infrastructure of making the supply chain work in semis with ASML, and then, you know, operating the stock exchanges between NASDAQ, ICE, and the rest. Real Like picks and shovels, the API providers to the modern world. Yeah, no, I like the pick. I heard this one at the same time as everyone. So I did my notes before Braden. So I, I do like that pick. <laughs> my next one. So the, I, I've noticed that we're, we're having some unique names that we don't talk about too here, which yeah, is good. Yeah, exactly. So I made a point to choose the following one, but you can insert, you know, a bunch of different ones here that would be pretty similar. So Church and Dwight. So ticker CHD. This is a consumer non-discretionary, so consumer staple is what I'm <laughs> what I was looking for. So I could have, you know, chosen a Procter and Gamble or another name like that. I just figured Church and Dwight, I think it's a name that not a lot of people are familiar with. I'm not going to impress you with growth with this name, but it will be a rock in your portfolio, regardless of what's happening in the economy. So I was really looking for a lower volatility name here. So something that's steady, whatever happens with the rest of my team. So if you know my team's not having a good night or the market is very volatile, CHD may be having slightly of an off night too, but it's still going to be way better than the rest of the team when they're not playing well. So that's where I wanted to go with this consumer staple. They, you know, you look at it, you know, this year, right? Consumer staples have performed actually quite well compared to the rest of the market. And that's a perfect example. For those of you not familiar with what they have. So, for example, they have brands like Harman Hammer, Trojan Condom, OxyClean. These are all brands. They have a bunch of other brands, but this is what a consumer staple is. It's something that, you know, you need whether, you know, regardless of what's happening with your finances, you have to make sure that you have these kind of products. So, they're non-discretionary. So it produces large amounts of free cash flow and for a company as well established as Church and Dwight, actually grown revenue in the mid-single digits range for the last decade. And that'll be pretty typical for the better type of consumer staples. It pays a 1.29% dividend yield and has a history of dividend increases with having increased its dividend 26 consecutive years. Wow. It's in a dividend aristocrat. So its share counts has also gone down by 12% the last decade. So it's another way it's returning capital to shareholders. So my main goal here was not to have crazy return. It was just to provide some stability to the portfolio. It's funny because it reminds me of like a Peter Lynch type chapter of a book where <laughs> he talks about if the name is incredibly boring, good, like even better. Yeah. And like what's more boring than a consumer discretionary named Church and Dwight and you look at the portfolio, Arm and Hammer. You know, it's like we're talking about the most unsexy, but this is a, I would consider a high performing conglomerate, like an HPC, that a term that I've never heard coined from outside of Mark Leonard and the, the Roper tech guys who are doing roll ups of software. 
talking about high performing conglomerates, you know, Berkshire is another perfect example, Unilever, LVMH. There are some conglomerates that are just really good at getting it done. They understand brand, they understand marketing, and they know how to churn out tons of cash. I think it fits well here. Yeah. And I think one thing, I don't know Church and Dwight all that well, but I think one thing that's interesting is they do have a lot less brands than some other consumer staples. And I know, I think I remember reading something, I think it was Procter & Gamble like three, four years ago, where they were looking to divest some of their brands because they had so many brands that some weren't performing as well as others. So I think it might not be a bad thing where, you know, a Church and Dwight Again, they may have a smaller amount of brands, but they have brands that do perform well overall. Yeah, it's like you ever see those graphics of just like what some of these oh, I know. <laughs> consumer facing brands yeah. own. You look like a Unilever or like a PepsiCo, Nestle. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to run. The only way to run these high performing conglomerates correctly is really a decentralized structure. And so some of them have pulled off that decentralized structure extremely well. And I think that many of them are just really good stocks to own, just as like a general thought. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Speaking of high performing conglomerate, I wanted my goalie also one of those. And I got a great goalie situation right now, Simon. I, I got to tell you. I know, you. I know. It's a good one. I didn't I even have, think about it. And then I saw I have, it. I'm like, oh, shit. I should have. <laughs> I have, well, here's the thing. I don't know if you see the second part of my notes here, but I have Berkshire locked up in a really favorable contract. Like Berkshire Hathaway, absolutely locked up, just so rock solid, this massive conglomerate of business. It's amazing. And the dudes at Berkshire Hathaway, they want to go to work every day, even in their 90s. Just longevity that you could only dream of. But given all of those, I wanted to add a backup goalie. You know, I saw one available on the active roster and I signed a name that we have definitely never talked about. Aeroports de Paris, which you could probably say correctly uh, much better than me. Aeroport de Paris, yeah. Okay, there you go. This is the airport in Paris, France, because we're talking about a critical flight hub critical infrastructure in Europe. And this is just infrastructure that's going to persist for a really long time. We're talking about businesses with really low, really, really high barriers to entry and basically no active competition. We're looking at ports, railroads, and airports, like some of these infrastructure names. And look, it got rocked, as you can imagine, with lockdowns and travel, as many of these names do. So I just figured, you know, I'll grab them off waiver, sign them into some some crappy entry-level contract here. And, you know, my goalie situation looks great. Starting goalie of Berkshire Hathaway, just one of the best in the league. And, you know, I, I'm really happy to round out my team there. <laughs> we need the listeners to vote on which starting five they would, would prefer to have on their their fantasy team here. Well, I'll give a little bonus since I didn't see the airport. Another interesting <laughs> hey, you airport. You need a backup play. goalie, man. Yeah, backup goalie. So I'm going to go in the <laughs> same vein, but I'm going to go ticker PAC. So Grupo Aeroportuario del Pacifico. I probably butchered <laughs> that a little bit, but essentially they own airports in South 
kind of South America. It's a name I'm somewhat familiar. I looked at it a while back, but it's uh, they run airports in yeah Central America mostly. So it's another very similar play. Clearly, you're betting a bit more on you know travel over there from the U.S. and Canada, but they do run those airports. They are able to get revenues from the concessions and things like that. So it's another uh, very interesting play for those looking at airports specifically. Dude, did you just steal my airport pick? My yeah, sleeper yeah. late in the draft off the waiver wire? <laughs> wow, dude. Well, you inspired me. I didn't see the airport <laughs> thing. So another one if people are interested at looking that name up. But obviously, there's going to be a lot of kind of currency fluctuations there. Oh, for sure. I'm looking at it now here on Stratosphere. Yeah, every airport has had... A bad just 2020. This, like, I'll just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. They've all had this like really amazing kind of compounding over time. Like really nice looking. And then this like, yeah, drop. Absolute panic sell in March of 2020. And of course, so much more severe than the market if it was tied oh, yeah. to travel and anything like this. So it's a stock chart... That you'll, you see these travel names and you know they're a travel name if you look yeah. at the share price performance. Because we're talking about like absolute decimation. I'd rather have that if you want like a play on travel and specifically kind of airline travel related to that. I think, you know, betting on airport groups like that, I think that's a much better play than trying to get into the airlines. I wholeheartedly agree. I think this just goes back to the way that we invest our money is like, what are the picks and shovels? It's like, I don't want to own risky boomer bust biotech companies that can go bankrupt at any second or like the whole investment thesis relies on an FDA approval that I have no insight on when I can just own like Thermo Fisher, which supplies all of the hardware accessories and software for biotechs to run their businesses in like a picks and shovels you know like if there's a gold rush sell the shovels right that's how my brain goes but that's also because you and i are trying to own like really durable plays not like boom bust i think there's lots of places to look too and a lot of them are in infrastructure i think for the most part and that's why you and i have been so uh, keen on owning alternative managers like brookfield for instance thanks for listening to today's show i hope you guys liked it when this comes out simone we'll have to do a, a twitter poll on which starting five or i guess starting six you would like on your fantasy team here and you got you can do that by going over to our twitter which is at cdn underscore investing speaking of twitter i have dude you know we've made it when we have all these imposters coming after us you and i have got the imposters going after us dan and nick have the imposters you would think it's pretty obvious that we're not trying to sell you a crypto scam, but you well, know, have to get that blue check mark. I think then you Dude, know I, that's probably the best thing about that is because now they have to verify you, right? They kind of you pay for it, and apparently they verify it, and then you get the blue check mark once they validate your identity and stuff. So when this happened, I got like in one day, I got ten different people send me screenshots of like DMs they got on Twitter from like an impersonator and poor listeners of the podcast are like, Oh, Braden's best me on Twitter. That's cool. Like let's chat with him. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Hey, 
How's your crypto? <laughs> you know, why are you investing long term when I can just triple your money like shit like that? Yeah. And so obviously that's not me. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know what, Elon, you got me. Uh, I'll, I'll spend the eight bucks. So I went in, I did the Twitter verification. I paid and I have no idea where my blue check mark is. Like, I don't, like, oh. does it show up in the mail later? When did you do it? Just like, it was yesterday? yesterday or yesterday or the day before. The oh, fact okay. that I can't remember is a bit bit scary. Did you do it <laughs> on iPhone or did you go on the web app to save? I did it on the web app. Yeah. I don't have it available yet for me. Like you can't do it? No. Like you no, can't buy the check it's, uh, it's a gradual rollout. Oh, your account just hasn't been selected yet? Yeah. Oh, no. I'm able to do it. So... Twitter Anyways. blue. I think everyone has it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, it wasn't. It took a while. Apparently, they were doing a gradual rollout yesterday. Uh, okay. Yeah, but now I checked. Uh, I can do it. So, I'll do it as well. So, uh, hopefully, by the time people listen to this, if I get the dates right, it should be on December 29th. So, by the time they listen to this, hopefully, we'll have the blue check mark, both of us. Yeah, frick, man. What if these bots just start paying for it or do they have to actually get verified? Yeah, I think so. I think you get the added benefits except the blue check mark if you pay, and then you get the blue check mark if they verify. I think your identity. Oh, okay, so maybe that's what I'm waiting for. Yeah, yeah. Okay, very interesting. All right. Well, I'm not trying to triple your money on a crypto scheme. <laughs> if you fall for that, I, I don't know what I can't help you. You know. Like, it's 2022. If you fall for that kind of stuff, it should be pretty obvious, but I still feel bad regardless, so don't fall for that. All right, Simon, this is dope. We'll have to do the poll. I'm feeling good about my team, but I also like your team, man. I also yeah, like your sorry. team. Yeah, there, sorry. There's a baby crying, so we'll have to wrap up. I like my team, too. I like yours, too. <laughs> wrap it up. Baby's crying. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We appreciate you. If you're new to the show, episodes come out on Mondays and Thursdays, and somehow we always finish the episode. The baby knows. The baby knows. It's time to wrap it up and time to close it out. We'll see you in a few days. Take care. Bye-bye. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.